Hey, Pastor Josh here. Thanks so much for watching our videos. If you'd like more information about Legacy City Church, you can go to LegacyCityChurch.com. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell below. God bless you. All right. We are in Matthew chapter 9 in our Bibles. Matthew chapter 9. Can you guys hear me okay? Yeah. See, as, a, as an orator, this is my profession. This is what I do for a living. I can't stand the sounds. I can hear every sound. Because uh, I'm not only listening to the sounds, but I'm listening to what you're taking in. And I'm, I'm gauging that level, whether or not you can actually hear me, whether or not you can hear these things louder. So you're hearing my voice and in inflection. Uh, hopefully take off a couple times. I hope we don't disturb the neighbors too much. We love you neighbors. So sorry. Uh, hopefully you're excited to open your Bible with us as well today. <laughs> Matthew chapter 9 in our Bibles. We are working through a series I've titled Jesus Worldview. Jesus Worldview. This is where we look through the eyes and lens of the Lord Jesus Christ to see how he views the world around us. And more than ever before, I just want his view. Just want to know what he thinks about what's going on in society. I want his perspective. And that's what we get to do as we look at Matthew 9. We're going to cover verses 18 to 26, and this is sermon number 43 through the book of Matthew. And the title of the message today, if you're taking notes, is The Best Kind of Faith. The Best Kind of Faith. I just feel far from you. I think that's what it is. Should I bring this closer, True? Is that, you think that's... Dave, are we okay? Camera? Is that okay? I kind of feel like I'm a bit more in now with you and instead of like up there in the gazebo and you got to modify and make this work. See, is that better? Okay, good. You guys see me back there? If you're taking notes, the title of the message is the best kind of faith. The best kind of faith. I think we need faith more than anything in this day and age, really faith to see beyond what's going on around us. Um, we can all see the reality of what's happening in front of us, and it's striking us from different angles and different ways, causing lots of turmoil and anxiety and stress in our lives. And we then need faith to be able to see beyond our problem and believe that God might be doing something better behind the scenes than what's on the surface. You see, it's so easy to look at something, a tragedy right in front of you, something very difficult and not know how to manage it, not know what to do with it. But what causes a person to keep moving forward? What causes a person to keep enjoying life? What causes a person to keep being happy and joyful and peaceful and at rest? They need something deeper within them that is going to propel them beyond the storms, beyond the tragedies, beyond the things going in life. We've talked about this before, but as I get older, I think I calculate more. I calculate more, and I want to know the risk. I want to know um, how this is going to affect my life. I want to know how to get out of this. I plan and prepare. We set up insurances all around our lives so that if anything bad happens, we're okay. But I think we get trapped when we do this. It's okay to set up insurances. It's okay to set up all kinds of guidelines and 
all kinds of fences around you. But at the end of the day, when that starts to cripple your life or stop you from believing or stop you from dreaming or stop you from thinking beyond your situation, you get stuck in this little rut. You really don't feel like you know what to do. You kind of feel stuck in your situation and you can't think beyond it. We're going to see two terrible situations today in which these people are able to believe beyond their situation and to believe that God might be doing something greater in their situation. Two tragic stories, but we will have our faith built and encouraged and we will see the best kind of faith. We're in Matthew chapter 9 in our Bibles. Can we stand for the reading of God's word? We always stand for the reading of his word to remember whose word we're reading. It's not mine. My words can't change you. Only the Lord Jesus' words can change you. Listen to the story he tells today. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 18. Take a look. It says, while he was saying these things, Jesus talking, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, my daughter has just died. But come and lay your hand on her and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him and his, with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from discharge of blood for 12 years came behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, go away for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand and the girl arose and the report of this went through all that district. Let's pray. Father, we bless you in this place. It's beautiful out. Thank you, Lord, for the breeze. Thank you for the sun. Thank you for the trees. Your word says even the trees clap their hands. Even the wind and the waves obey you. And Lord, we come seeking you now in this moment. Father, would you hear our prayer and would you minister to us and would you meet us right where we're at in our situation? Would you give us the best kind of faith? We need your work in our hearts and our minds. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Our story picks up with Jesus probably still around Matthew's house, explaining to the disciples of John why communion and relationship with him are more important than religion. Remember we talked about this last week? New wineskins and new wine has arrived. He was explaining why there is no need to fast to draw close to God when the Lord himself is sitting before them ready to spend time feasting and fellowshipping. Remember, we said, if God was sitting right there and you're in heaven, you're like, Lord, I need to go fast so I can get close to you. And he's like, hello, I'm right here. Why would you need to fast? Why would you need to do ritualistic religious things when I'm standing right here with you? Worship me now and join me now. We talked about this last week. In mid-conversation with John's disciples, it says in verse 18, while he was saying these things, behold, a ruler came and knelt before him. So again, Jesus in mid-sentence, he's talking to these guys and all of a sudden, boom, this guy is like bowing before him. 
Mark's gospel tells us who he was. Mark chapter 5 verse 2 says, Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus, by name. Seeing him, he fell at his feet. What is this guy's name? Pop quiz. Jarius. Are you listening? Yes. What's his name? Jarius, yes. And, do, and who is he? Can you see in the text? He's a ruler in the synagogue. He's a ruler in the synagogue. All the religious leaders know who this guy is, and here he is falling at the feet of Jesus. Matthew uses the specific word ruler to let us know what kind of guy he is. To point out this man had authority, he was respected in society amongst the religious, and here is a ruler now on his knees before Jesus. Only one thing can bring such a proud man of authority to his knees so quickly. I don't care who you are. Something like this will break any man in a single blow. It says, a ruler came in and knelt before Jesus saying, my daughter has just died. Doesn't matter how powerful you are. Doesn't matter how rich. Doesn't matter how much authority you have. Doesn't matter who you are. Your daughter dies before your eyes. You will be on your knees. Luke's gospel tells us that this was Jairus' only child. His only girl. His only child. His little girl. And it also tells us that she was only 12 years old. She's 12 years old. Jarius is beyond desperate. He has heard of Jesus in town. He has heard of the miracles. But he had no need or concern of the Lord until now. Can you imagine him at home with his wife and daughter trying everything to help his little girl? We don't know how she died, but Luke and Mark's gospel tell us that Jarius knew his daughter was dying. So there was a process. We don't know if it was a type of cancer or something was overtaking her body, some type of disease. We don't know. We don't know if she got injured and never recovered. We don't know if she got leprosy. We don't know. It doesn't tell us what happened. But there was a process of dying that was taking place and it was coming to the end. Who knows what he had done to try to save his daughter? He'd done lots of things trying to save her. I can't think of anything more crippling to be in a moment where I can't do anything to save my little girl from dying. This man was crushed, desperate beyond measure. He would do anything to save her and anything he did. He ran to Jesus even though he knew all the religious leaders would see him, all the guys from the synagogue, all of his buddies who would mock and laugh at Jesus and make fun of him behind closed doors. He says, man, I heard about this guy in town. That Jesus that we always mock and make fun of and laugh at. I've heard that he's healed people. Forget this. I'm going to run to him. He ran to Jesus. Even though all the religious leaders would see him, he didn't care. Point number one, if you're taking notes today, desperate faith is the best faith. Desperate faith is the best faith. You want to know why? Because it's pure. Nothing to pull from the bottom. You got nothing, no faking, no religious posture, just pure brokenness. Just, I, I can't do it. I got nothing. There's zero in the tank. I'm literally not going anywhere unless you show up. 
Desperate faith is the best faith. Jesus, I need you to save me. I can't do it. That's Jarius. He no longer, he's no longer an untouchable religious ruler in the synagogue. He's now a broken, desperate father in tears, just trying to save his only daughter. And he falls at the feet of the ruler of all rulers, the king of all kings, Jesus. His religious partner standing by thinking, what is Jarius doing? Bowing to Jesus, but he didn't care. He was now unashamed to be before the Lord. Unashamed. He was desperate. I'm reminded of Naaman, the king of Syria. Do you remember him? Naaman, the king of Syria, a mighty man of valor. This guy was not only a king, but he wasn't a wimpy king. He was like a gladiator. The guy would show up with his sword and he could go do battle. He was a man of valor. But this king, Naaman, he was a leper. Under his armor was leprosy. People didn't know. It's found in 2 Kings 5. Desperate as a leper, he requested a prophet to God to, to pray, pray for him and tell him what to do. And he's told to go dip in the Jordan River seven times and he'll actually be healed. And he gets angry. This, this king, Naaman, gets angry and proud saying, isn't there a cleaner river to dip in than the Jordan River? I'm not going in that dirty river to go get cleaned up. It's like if you had leprosy and you were a great king, a billionaire in this land, and he said, you want to be healed? Go bathe in the L.A. River. <laughs> I'm not getting that mosquito-infested, dirty, nasty water. I'm not getting in there. Listen to 2 Kings 5.13. But his officers tried to reason with him, saying, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey what he has said. Simply go and wash and be cured. So Naaman humbled himself. He went down to the Jordan River, dipped himself seven times, it says, as the man of God had instructed, and his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child, and he was healed. Did you hear that? I can't imagine it says after seven times of dipping, he was healed. It's like you go in, you dip in the LA River six times. You're like, this is the nastiest thing I've ever done. I have peeled off my armor. I am a king. And it's not until the seventh time, desperation. Think about how broken you have to be over and over. He keeps dipping, nothing's happening. He keeps dipping, nothing's happening. He said to get in the river and dip, and I'm in this dirty river. Forget this. I'm just going for it anyways. I'm desperate. I need to be healed of this leprosy. And it says a seventh time, he believed beyond his situation. He believed. He believed so much that he actually did it. And the seventh time he dips in, all of a sudden, the leprosy peels off of his skin. And it says that his... His skin became that of a young child. The fountain of youth was the L.A. River. And then verse 15, Then Naaman and his entire party went back to, to find the man of God. They stood before him and Naaman said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. He says, Now I know. Desperation. Listen to Jonah's prayer in the belly of the whale. Jonah chapter 2, verse 5. Have you ever been swallowed by a whale? I don't want to go do that, God. You're going to go. 
no, no, I'm not going to go. I'm going on a cruise to Spain, he said. And it actually says that he bought his ticket. He paid the fare, it says in the text. He spent his 1500 bucks. He said, no, I'm going on Viking cruises. Ten grand, baby. Let's go. Viking. He goes to Spain. And on his way, he gets thrown off the boat. You know the story. And swallowed by a whale that God had sent. And all of a sudden, he's broken, and he's in the, bo the body of the whale. And it, Jonah chapter 2 is a prayer from Jonah inside the belly of a whale. This is his prayer. Jonah chapter 2, verse 5, I sank beneath the waves, and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down in the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth. Whose gates lock sh shut forever? But you, O Lord my God, snatch me from the jaws of death. As I remember my life slipping away, I remembered the Lord. Wow, it took the swallowing of a whale to get you to remember the Lord. And my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their back on all God's mercies. But I will offer sacrifice to you with songs of praise. And I will fulfill my vows, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Verse 10, then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. It was at the moment when he said, my salvation comes from the Lord alone. No other place on the planet. No person can save me. Nothing can save me. I am desperate. If God doesn't show up, I'm done. It is in that moment that his eyes were open. 2 Samuel 24, 14, David overwhelmed by what was going on in his life. David says, I'm deeply de distressed, O Lord. Please let us fall into the hand of the Lord for his mercies are great, but do not let me fall into the hands of men. He says, falling into the hands of men is a trap. It's destructive. I can't make it. But let me fall into the hands of the Lord because I know in his hands I will be carried. No one likes being in this place, family. So desperate, you feel like you could just die. You ever been there? I have. But in these moments, you have nothing and nowhere to turn but the Lord, and it's the best thing that could ever happen to you, ever happen to any person. Listen, sometimes you don't realize the Lord is all you need until the Lord is all you have. Sometimes you don't realize God is all you need until God is the only thing you got. Everything else has been stripped away. Job, do you remember Job? He lost everything. He said, naked I came into this world, naked I shall go. The Lord gave to me. The Lord has taken away from me. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He says, I still got God, so I still got everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Try to process that equation. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. If you lose this entire world, but you still have Christ, you still have everything, for all things are held together by him and for him. In him is found all the treasures of the universe. The snap of a finger, at the command of his voice, he can speak another universe into existence. So if you lose the universe, it doesn't matter as long as you have him. It's important to remain in a place of dependence upon the Lord and not yourselves or others. Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him. And he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and a refreshment to your bones. Acts 3.19, repent therefore that times of refreshing may come in the presence of God. Turning to God and being fully dependent on Him is the best thing that could ever happen to you. Best thing that could ever happen to me. Jarius, the ruler of the synagogue, was finally in this place, begging Jesus to save his daughter. Scene change. In the middle of this scene, Matthew points out what happens. Verse 18, while he was saying these things, behold, the ruler came and knelt before him, saying, My daughter is just side, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. So Jesus is like, thank you, Matthew. Thank you, sinners. Thank you, John's disciples. Thank you, everybody. Uh, I got a religious ruler to go and help right here. This is Jarius. His daughter is just side. I'll see you guys in a bit. Peace. And he makes his way out and he is now on his way to Jarius' house. He says, let's go. You believe in me? You believe that she will live? You have believed right. So let's go. Jesus on his way with Jarius walking encounters a woman who had been looking for him for a while. Scene change. He's walking with a pack of people. Everybody sees Jesus walk out of the house and they're like, where is he going? I, th I think that guy just said that his daughter's dead. I think he's about to go raise the dead. Let's go. Come on. Everybody rolls in a pack and starts following after Jesus in town. Verse 20 says, and behold... A woman who had suffered from being from discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. This woman, we are told, has been suffering for 12 years. Interesting thing I didn't see until after preparing the entire message. The little girl was 12. And this woman had suffered for 12 years. What? connection is Matthew making? I don't know, but it blew my mind that this happened in the same moment, in the same day, and this is who Jesus is touching and talking to. Ladies, can you imagine? 12 years. Luke's gospel tells us that she had spent all of her savings and money on doctors, but no one could heal her. She was desperate and helpless. You ever been there? To make matters worse, not only has this woman's health been gone for 12 years, she had been made poor by this sickness. She's not able to work and probably not married anymore. The worst thing of all is according to the Levitical law, a woman was considered unclean for seven days after their monthly period. So this woman was considered unclean for 12 years, which means she could not be a part of the Jewish society and public rituals of worship for 12 years. And those around her would always consider her unclean anytime she came around. She was placed as in an outcast category. She was lonely, hurting, broken, and yes, desperate. Desperate for somebody to help her. She spent all her money on all these doctors. Nobody could help her. She'd gone to everybody in society, please, somebody help me, and say, no, you're unclean. You stay over there. Can I come over for dinner tonight? No, you're unclean. I want to come and worship. I just want to be with the people of God. You cannot come in the synagogue. You are unclean. 
She was lonely, hurting, broken, and desperate for somebody to help her. On this day, she must have been nearby when she saw the commotion. Jesus, the healer, was walking by. Jesus was just walking with Jairus to go to his house to go heal his daughter. And this woman, like, all of a sudden looks over, and she sees Jesus walking by. She's like, wait, is that him? Wait, is that the guy? For she said to herself, verse 21, if only... I love this only I just got to do one little thing if only if I only touch his garment I will be made well she had believed long before she ever saw him she had believed something about Jesus she said man if that Jesus guy ever comes through here I know he can heal me I love this childlike faith, the purest form. If I can just touch his garment, that's enough. I know I'll be made well. Again, no question as to whether or not Jesus can do it. All that needs to happen is she gets her hand to touch the hem of his garment. If I can just, it's just a little tap of his garment. I'll be, I'm good. That's all I need. I don't need a command. I don't need an abracadabra. I don't need a laying on of hands. I don't need anything. If I can just, if I can just jump out and just swipe my hand as fast as I can, maybe I get a quick touch of his garment, not even his feet. I just want to touch that material that he's wearing. Talk about childlike faith. Luke gives us a little more insight. Luke chapter eight. Listen. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, I love this, Peter standing there. <laughs> the big burly fisherman, the big mouth. Peter said, master, the crowds surrounding you are pressing in on you. Oh, what, are you what are you talking about? Everybody's touching you. <laughs> Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling, falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. She snuck up on a large crowd pressing around him. All these people. Peter's like, duh, Lord, there's everybody's around you. You're in a mosh pit, you know? You're like crowd surfing right now. There's all these people. What are you talking about? Maybe she's crouching down in the crowd because she doesn't want to be seen by Jesus. And Dr. Luke writes that she touched the fringe of his garment. I like this stacking of words. The fringe of his garment. Fringe? It sounds like her fingertips just barely brushed the tassels of his robe. You see, Jewish men in that day, Bible students, you know, many in this day still wear tzitzit. You know what tzitzit is? I only know because when I was in Israel, I was staying there. Um, I used to see this all the time, and I asked them, what is that? They got these, these little, um, they're little pieces of string that fall down on their undergarments. It's called tzitzit. And they are knots that have been tied, and they represent the 613 laws of Moses, and they carry them with them always. Well, the men in Jesus' day wore them, and still many religious in this day still wear them. Jesus was wearing his seat on his undergarment. And this is what I think she reached out to try and touch, the fringe of his garment. 
And it says immediately she was healed, just one touch and her soul was satisfied 12 years and in one moment she knew everything would be made right jesus touched her well she grabbed his garment but jesus immediately knew someone had touched him and perceived power had gone out from him that's interesting to think about now isn't it that sounds like almost like a like a TBN, you know, word of faith thing or something like, and power went out from him. We're going to do a healing service tonight, 5 p.m., and there's going to be power go out from you. I got garments to wave all over your face. I got magic oil for three easy payments of $29.95. Sorry. I do that because I watched my grandma be taken advantage of these televangelists for like 20, 30 years. She loved the Lord, but man, she was just doing the best that she could, and I just, it bothered me. But Jesus immediately knew that someone had touched him and perceived power had gone out from him. Power is the word used to describe the healing being granted. But healing being granted without Jesus knowing to some degree, meaning someone could be healed without Jesus first taking action. Interesting. Jesus took no action. He was just walking. She took the action and she is healed. This is very inter interesting. It's almost as if God in heaven saw the woman and her faith and all that she had been doing for 12 years and then granted her healing in that moment as he saw her reach out in faith, believing God with all of her heart that he could do it and she was healed. We, we organized that earlier. See that? little alarm going off and Jesus then realized what had happened the woman was scared and hid quickly but when Jesus stopped the crowd and said who touched me the woman fell at his feet and said it was me the best part is Jesus says to her daughter he's never even met her she's never met him I just want to touch the hem of his garment. And he calls her the most endearing word that he could ever say to her. Can you imagine 12 years of suffering like that, all that pain, all the money gone, all, all of the stuff you're going through, and all of a sudden healed, and then you're scared because you're like, oh no, I touched, I touched him. Who's going to get me for that? And instead of coming after you, he says, daughter, he calls you daughter. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. I'm happy with you. Point number two, if you're taking notes, pure faith like a child. Pure faith like a child. He calls her daughter. Childlike faith. Kids believe crazy things, huh? I remember uh, my papa telling me if I had a watermelon... If I ate a watermelon and I ate the seeds, a watermelon would grow in my, my tummy, right? <laughs> Don't eat those seeds. You're going to grow a watermelon in there. Like, oh, really? So I wouldn't eat the seeds. I remember one time we were on a camping trip. They had this big motorhome. And I remember crawling up to his feet when I was a kid when he was driving. And I saw the gas pedal was down when we were driving 
and and it when slowing down and speeding up it would move i would watch the pedal move and i'm like what in the world but my pop wasn't pressing the pedals with his foot it was just magically moving up and down and i asked him how he was doing that he said he had a little mouse friend that was pushing the pedal for him so i looked everywhere that for that mouse cruise control right I looked for that mouse everywhere, but I believed him. I believed him with all of my heart. I didn't even question it. There's a mouse down there? Jake, Jess, get over here. Let's go find the mouse. We started looking for the mouse in the motorhome. Kids believe anything is possible, don't they? Even a watermelon growing in your tummy. <laughs> That's why they have to put warning labels on capes that say wearing this will not enable you to fly. Because kids will believe it. Childlike faith. This woman's belief was like a child. Desperate. Full of belief. If I can just touch the hem of his garment. Who can believe like this? Only a person with childlike faith. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. I'm telling you, there are so many distractions going on in our society that stop us from believing like that. We say, that's bizarre. You can't believe a watermelon's going to grow in your stomach. That don't make sense. You can't believe that you touch the hem of his garment and you might be healed. This makes no sense. I'm sorry. Um, you're, you're one of those crazies. How have we stopped believing God in this way? As we grow older, this is what happens. We build fences. We start calculating more. We start figuring out. We, we lower it. That's why Jesus says childlike. The more knowledge we get, the harder it is to believe sometimes. I used to believe for radical things even in my early 20s. Now I'm trying to calculate how to get a building. And people say to me all the time, don't worry, the Lord's just going to show up. It will happen. And it's like so hard for me at times to believe such radical things in such an expensive city. It's like it may never happen. Believing that God is capable to do above and beyond whatever we could ask or think. Far above. And it's those kind of steps of faith that God meets he is looking for men and women in Los Angeles who will simply take steps of faith and believe God at his word that he will meet you. We were so crazy, radical, fired, and all riled up to come and plant a church in L.A. seven years ago. Like, forget this. Sell the house. Come on, let's go. Get all the young people. Let's get out here. We're going to make this happen. We're just going to go for it. Who cares? Who cares if we fail? We don't care. We're going for it. We just did it. It's amazing how time and how problems and situation can wear on the mind and try to stop you from believing with childlike faith again. We have all of these excuses and reasons why God can't move anymore. God's not big enough. He's not bigger than 2020. He's not big enough. The disciples tried to stop the children from coming to Jesus. You remember that? Peter's like, get those snotty-nosed brats away from the Lord. Get, get away, get away. No snot on the Lord, excuse me. Keep him clean. But Jesus said, Matthew 19, let the children come to me. Do not stop them. 
For the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. The kingdom of heaven belongs to those who believe like these kids. Listen to the first two verses in Hebrews 11 and the last two verses in Hebrews 11. It is the hall of faith. It's the chapter of faith. Believing God a thousand percent. These men and women did so, and they're all pointed out. A hall of faith. Yes. Listed in Hebrews 11. All the men and women. It says this, verse 1 and 2. Now faith is the assurance of what we hope for and the certainty of what we do not see. Can't calculate it. This is why the ancients were commended. Now jump down to the last two verses of the chapter. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by sword. They went around in sheepskin and goatskin, destitute, oppressed, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and hid in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet they did not receive what was promised. God had planned something better for us so that together with us they would be made perfect. They were believing on something they would never see in their life. They were believing a Messiah would come and save them, and they never saw the Messiah. Isn't that crazy? Moses was believing in a Savior. David was believing in a Savior. All of these men and women were believing in a future Savior. They never saw him on the earth. They kept believing. They kept marching forward. They kept walking with the Lord. They lived in pure, desperate great childlike faith. Abraham was wealthy. He did fine in his city. He came from a pagan family. God came to him and said, leave your family, leave everything, leave your land and go and follow me. He's like, where do you want me to go? He's like, I'll tell you in a little bit. Just get on going. The text says Abraham left his land not knowing where he was going. Moses was raised in Pharaoh's palace in Egypt. He learned the language. He learned the customs. He was dressed in gold. He, he had all the garb of Egypt. And he said, I will not sit here while God's people are suffering. I will not do it. I will leave all of this. And he left the pleasures of Pharaoh to go stand with God and lead these people out of Egypt into the desert through the Red Sea. By faith. He had to trust God, and we have to do the same. Verse 23 and 24, when Jesus came to the ruler's house, back to Jarius, are you ready? You guys okay? A few more minutes, we're almost done. It's heating up, I can feel that. Don't worry, I feel it more. I'm going to see beads showing up on my forehead. I need my little rag. Verse 23, 24, when Jesus came to the ruler, Jarius' house, and saw the flute players and the crowd making commotion, he said, go away, for the girl is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him. They came to Jarius' house. All the professional mourners were there. Yes, they hired people in that day to come and mourn with the family, with instruments, flutes. Lots of minors. And the women fake crying. 
When Jesus shows up, he sees the little 12-year-old girl laying there, and he tells everyone that she is sleeping. She's not dead, she's sleeping. And they start to laugh at him. Proving that they don't care, they were professional mourners. Why would Jesus say that she is sleeping? Jar That's insensitive. Lord, why would you say that to Jarius is standing right there? Oh, she's sleeping. Lord, she clearly died. Because Jesus' sheep never really die. We say that again, Jesus' sheep, his people never really die. We just go to sleep for a little while, then we resurrect just like he did. The people of God do not die, they sleep and then they resurrect. This is the doctrine of the resurrection. Listen to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, listen church, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. We believe Jesus has died and rose from the dead, and because we believe in that, we believe that we too, when we die, will rise from the dead. Because Jesus conquered death with the resurrection, we too will resurrect. We just go to sleep for a little while. John eleven twenty five. 25, Jesus makes it even more clear. Are you ready? Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever it believes in me, though they die, yet shall they live. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. He says, do you believe this? What if Jesus looks you in the face and says, you know what? You, if you believe in me, you will never die. This is resurrection. 1 Peter 1.3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have a living hope. John 6, 40, for this is the will of the Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Family, we do not mourn as people with no hope. We mourn differently. We mourn differently than the rest of the whole world. We know we will see our loved ones again one day. The Apostle Paul writes about death in 1 Corinthians 15, 5. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Death has been conquered in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There are two things this, or on this earth we can't seem to fix. Number one, sin. We keep hurting and hating each other generation after generation after generation. We have had thousands of years to figure it out. We still cannot figure it out. Problem number one, sin. Problem number two on the earth, death. The two problems we humans can't seem to solve, Jesus came and solved them both at the cross. He freed us from sin to now love our God and love and serve our neighbor. And then he freed us from death by giving us life now, in this life now, free from sin, but life in eternity, in the resurrection. We will raise from the dead one day and we will see our loved ones. When I do funerals, I say this at the graveside service. Because of the resurrection, I will see my mother again one day. I will see my brother again one day. It's true. It's not wishful thinking. But if it is not true, none of this rest in peace stuff, 
somebody passes online, everybody's rest in peace, man, you know, hope the angels are with you, you know, it's just like you're just saying stuff. The reality is if Jesus did not raise from the dead, then guess what? We die and it's over. And you better be selfish in this day and age. Why, why wouldn't you pile up everything for you? This is the only life you get. You get 60, 70, 80 years and it's over. There is no eternity and there is no judgment because there is no God. So you can do whatever you want and you don't have to be held accountable for it. You can get away with all kinds of crazy things. There are people who think and live this way and that's exactly why they think and live this way. They do it because they truly believe it. But we mourn differently because we believe in a resurrection. As we believe in Jesus, we are freed from sin and death. We're not scared of death any longer because we know it's part of the process, but we simply go to sleep, then we rise from the dead. No, we don't wish to die, but we keep it in right perspective. We are not scared of death. The great 16th century monk, Martin Luther, lost his beloved 14-year-old daughter. He lost his 14-year-old daughter in the 1600s when the Great Plague swept through Europe in 1665. 30 to 60% of the population died. Did you hear that? Upwards of 60% of the population died. The Great Plague, the Black Plague, the Bubonic Plague. 60% of the population standing right here. Let's just draw a line right here. All of this side would be gone in our society. That is a plague and that is scary. That would be more than half of our crowd. People were not recovering from this sickness. If you got the Black Plague, you were dead. And of course, I cannot help as I'm reading Martin Luther in compare to what's going on in this day and age. In comparison today, they had 60 times more people die of the Black Plague than we are having. No one recovered. 99% of people recover who get COVID. Less than 1% will die. We know this for sure now. 100%. 99% recover, less than 1% will die. 60% of the population died in those pandemics. How can we live in fear? The numbers don't lie. Sadly, Martin Luther's daughter, only 14 years old, died. But listen to his faith in the midst of that darkness. Listen, are you ready? Someone wrote this down, his reaction. Martin Luther, brokenhearted, he knelt beside her bed and he begged God to release her from her pain. Then when she had finally died and the carpenters were nailing down the lid of the coffin, Luther screamed out, hammer away, hammer away, for on the last day she will rise again. Hammer away, for on the last day she will rise again. Abraham said the same thing as he was offering Isaac his own son on the altar. Hebrews tells us that he believed by faith that God would raise him from the dead even if he had to kill his own boy. He believed in the resurrection. The world laughs at our belief in the resurrection of Jesus, but if you don't have the resurrection, what do you have? You have nothing. No hope, no future, no peace. The resurrection brings life. It brings perspective in the midst of the chaos around us. We are invincible, for lack of a better term. We will live forever. This life is just the beginning. And we are here to point people to God. 
the one who made them. That's our whole purpose here on earth, to love our God, point people to him, and to love and serve our neighbor to help them see the God who made them. Verse 25, when the crowd had been put, us, put outside, he says, get them out of here, get them out. Just get them out of here. Get the flutes out. <laughs> get these fake criers out of here. And then it says, he went and he took her by the hand. And the girl rose. And the report of this went through all of the district. Jesus takes this 12-year-old girl by the hand and she got up and her father wept and he hugged her and he kissed his little girl and he danced with her. And Jesus rejoiced. And this old religious ruler in the synagogue was made like a child again. His heart was new. He saw with fresh new eyes. He believed with all of his heart that Jesus was Lord, that he was the king. I'm going to close with this story. The great Horatio Spatford was a successful lawyer and businessman in Chicago with a lovely family and wife, Anna. He had five children. However, they were not strangers to tears and tragedy. Their son died with pneumonia in 1871. In the same year, much of their business was lost in, great Chicago, in a great Chicago fire. Yet God in his mercy and his kindness allowed the business to flourish once more. On November 21st, 1873, the French ocean liner Ville du Havre was crossing the Atlantic from the U.S. to Europe with 313 passengers on board. Among the passengers was Miss Spatford, his wife, and their four daughters. Although Miss Spatford had planned to go with his family, he found it necessary to stay in Chicago to help solve unexpected business problems. And he told his wife that he would join her and their children in Europe in a few days. His plan was to take another ship there. About four days into the crossing of the Atlantic, this ship collided with another Scottish ship. And suddenly all who were on board were in grave danger and Anna hurried, hurried her children, her four kids together on deck and she knelt with her kids, Annie, Margaret, Lee, Bessie and Tanetta. They prayed that God would spare them if he could be his will or to make them willing to endure whatever awaited them. Within approximately 12 minutes, the ship had slipped beneath the dark waters of the Atlantic carrying 226 of the passengers, including the four children. A sailor rowing a small boat over the spot where the ship went down spotted a woman floating on a piece of wreckage. It was Anna. His wife was still alive. He pulled her into the boat and they were picking up. They were being picked up by another large vessel nine days later and they landed in Wales. From there she wired her husband a message which began, Saved alone, what shall I do? Mr. Spatford later framed that telegram and placed it in his office. Another one of the ship's survivors, Pastor West, later called Anna saying, God gave me four daughters. Now they have been taken from me. Someday I will understand why. She wrote that to him. Mr. Spatford booked a passage on the next available ship and left to join his grieving wife with the ship about four days out. The captain called Spatford to the cabin and he told him that they were in the very place where his children went down. Here's this businessman, his children had gone down with that ship and there he is on a boat now going to see his wife and as they came over the place in which his children went under, the captain called him up. And, uh, and let him know what had happened. 
where did it happen? And it says that in that moment, Spadford wrote down this song, It Is Well With My Soul. And he goes on to write, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. It is well. Philippians 4, 7, And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The best kind of faith is desperate faith. It brings us to a place where we believe in a pure childlike form. I think we need this in our society more than ever before, right now in this time. We need to start believing God at his word and that he is able, and we need to start taking steps of faith in our lives, believing that God will meet us. How will you think? How will you stay in peace? How will you stay in joy beyond all that's going on in our city around us? We need God to ignite that in us. How in the world can this man write one of the greatest hymns, greatest songs of all times after he has lost his kids? It's this kind of faith that does it. It's the best kind of faith. Desperate faith, fully in need of Jesus. Amen. And we pray. Let's pray and ask the Lord to minister to us. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that you are the God who heals, you are the God who resurrects, you are the God who saves. And though we are in a very material world, it's very real. We believe in the unseen that you are there and that you are working and that you're working behind the scenes. We believe that you are alive and well, that Jesus, you are here with us now. We thank you that you're working. We thank you that you're ministering. We thank you that you're changing and resurrecting. We thank you you're convicting and encouraging. Lord, would you stir our faith to be like, child, like children, childlike faith. Help us to believe again. Help us to dream again. Help us to want to walk with you like never before once again. Just stir that in us. We trust you even in the darkest seas and the darkest times. Strengthen our faith. Help us to believe beyond what is going on in front of us. We trust you. We turn our lives over to you. We make you Lord and Savior again. We believe you with all of our hearts. We do it in Jesus' name. Amen.